because of my faith working in a Muslim country in an oil industry, at that time I was the head of the administration. And that meant I had control over the personnel, purchasing, transportation, contracts. And I started to witness in my position, at a very high position, I had three secretaries. And when I started to witness, hell broke loose. And a lot of people started to turn against me. In the beginning, it was fun and joke. They would pass my secretaries and say, we have come to see the Pope. And they would come into my office, a big office. They would bow down and say, your, holy, your holiness, we have come to confess our sins, absolve us. But that joke turned into animosity. Because later on, they wanted kickback from the contracts. And I stood in their way. I said, as a Christian, I'm not going to allow it. Welcome to Charisma Connection. Pastor Fred Saleh is here with us today, and Pastor Fred has an amazing personal testimony of how God has worked in his life, and he is the author of the three-book series, Breaking the Silence, which we will talk about today. Now, Pastor Fred, we welcome you to Charisma Connection. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you very much. It's It's a privilege for me. Well, it's a privilege for us as well. Now, some of our listeners may not be familiar with you or with your Church on the Rock in the Toronto area. Could you fill us in on your background? Yes, basically, I was born in the uh, southern city of Iran, which was uh, predominantly at that time, 1936 and on, under the, very much under the British influence because oil industry was in the south. They were drilling and exporting the oil from the south. Uh, the rest of country was different, but that particular province was very much under the dominance of the British. So that's where I grew. That's where I learned the language, uh, basically until uh, I was about 16 or 17, which I decided to move to the capital. And there I continued my education, and it was there that I met my wife. And at the very young age of 22, we got married. In the beginning, the life was not very easy for us because I had to study and I had to work. But uh, it introduced me because my father was in the oil industry. Uh, I decided to join the oil industry too. So I joined the oil industry. And gradually our life became better. But uh, because of the situation of the oil, the country is a very much an oil economy country. And because of the way that the British were handling the economy, basically the British Petroleum was taking 95% of the oil profits and giving 5% to the country, that started a very uh, strong reaction. And as a result, in the 1950s, uh, the British were supposed to stop and uh, the Iranian authorities went to the Hague court and the British put an embargo on the oil. And it was there that the British lost their influence and it opened the door for the Americans to come in. It was there that I met the Americans and I got joined to a company called Iran Pan American Oil Company, which was a joint effort by Standard Oil of Indiana and the National Iranian Oil Company. That was the beginning of my main career in the oil industry. However, in during that time that I was growing in that uh, particular uh, position, it was in 1970, actually, that two of my younger daughters, uh, we're, uh, we, we sent them to uh, the Assemblies of God Sunday School, and both of them, 11 and 9, accepted the Lord. And they came home and said, Dad, Mom, we have accepted the Lord. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that really infuriated me because of my last experience with certain believers. 
So we stopped them from going to church. However, since the Lord had a plan and purpose for our lives, later on, a year later, my wife came to accept the Lord through circumstances that is beyond our discussion. My son got very sick, and she didn't know what to do. So she accepted the Lord. That really turned me off. So I told her, I said, you know what? With four children, I'm going to divorce you. In my position in the oil industry, I cannot afford to have a wife now so religious that people are going to make fun of me and it's going to destroy my career. However, the Lord has a different plan. In 1974, he brought me on my knees. And for the first time, I realized I was a sinner through certain circumstances, which I thought a very good husband, a very good father, but the Lord showed me differently. So it was the beginning of my spiritual life and the beginning of my secular success, but my, in the meantime, many, many things started to happen. Because of my faith, working in a Muslim country, in an oil industry, at that time I was the head of the administration. And that meant I had control over the personnel, purchasing, transportation, contracts. And I started to witness in my position, at a very high position, I had three secretaries. And when I started to witness, hell broke loose. And a lot of people started to turn against me. In the beginning, it was fun and joke. They would pass my secretaries and say, we have come to see the Pope. And they would come into my office, a big office. They would bow down and say, your, holy, your holiness, we have come to confess our sins, absolve us. But that joke turned into animosity. Because later on, they wanted kickback from the contracts, and I stood in their way. I said, as a Christian, I'm not going to allow it. To cut a long story short, they did everything to stop me, and life was, became very, very difficult for me in that environment. A friend of mine, who was not part of the oil industry, and I helped him a lot, and he was in touch with very, very high levels of government, came to me and said, Fred, they're going to destroy you. I said, so what do you, what do you suggest? He said, allow me to arrange for you to get transferred out of the country. I said, go ahead and do. So he said, you know what? I think best is for you to go to New York. I said, fine. At that time, actually, I was very happy because two of my children, my son Edwin and my daughter Edith, were studying at Houghton College. So I said, go ahead. But it didn't work out that way. In December of 1975, there was a big party in Hilton Hotel. The prime minister was there. All the biggies were there. People from Standard Oil of Indiana were there. I was there, and this friend came to me and said, pack your bags, you're going to London. Oh, in June of 1975, I packed up my family by bags. I rented out my house with a very big, beautiful house, and I was transferred to London. Did you get it so much, Chris? Yes, you, you seem like you were all over the world at that point. So That's right. God, God was taking you different places. That's right. But he had a plan. So but while I was in Iran, my church leader said, why don't you study theology? You're good. You can be helpful. And that's where I started my studies in, 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 in the Bible. And as much as possible, Assemblies of God was teaching me. So when I got to London, it was an exile. They put me in an eight-by-eight eight room, no telephone, nothing, no work. For a whole year, I wasn't doing anything. I was stuck there. Of course, I bought a house, nice house. We lived there, but uh, I had no work. Just after a year, I was called into 
the main office. By the way, during that May, one year, I uh, studied and Elam Bible School helped me to go through my theology. And by 1978, they called me into his office, uh, the main office, and I wondered what they're going to do with me. I had a friend there called Bill. I said, Bill, are they going to send me back? Because for one year, I haven't been doing anything. He said, no, Fred, you just wait. Let's see what happens. And I said, if they're transferring me to the main office, let me work with you. He said, Fred, wait. Ken Snooks, the chairman of the board of IROS, Iranian Oil Services, which was a subsidiary of the British Petroleum, he wants to talk to you. So, lo and behold, in about half an hour, I go up, and Ken Snooks said, Mr. Saleh, would you sit down? So I said that, and he looked me in the face and said, you know what, there's, op- there's an opening in the main office. It is one of my assistants who overlooks all the purchases coming from Iran. And I've looked at every file. I've had recommendations from the royal family and from every department of the oil industry. I've looked them all over, and I looked at your background and your uh, convictions, and I have decided to give that job to you. Every purchase from the country that comes to what you have to initiate it, otherwise you won't buy it. I sat there and my eyes were full of tears. He said, have I offended you? I said, no, sir. You've told me something that I never expected. That was how I became one of the assistants of Kenneth Snooks. And every purchase that was coming out of Iran came under my desk. And all of those people who were against me had to work for me. I sat there and I really appreciated the kindness and the provision and the protection of the Lord. And God the first put thing you I in a place of influence then. Very, very high influence. Mm-hmm. I was at the top. If Let me put it this way. The oil industry had scales from 1 to 13 senior, and then high positions A, B, C, D. The highest was D, and at that position I was a D. So it was a three, four years of very affluent and very strong spiritual growth. It was during all those years, at that one year in isolation, that I learned something, that the Lord revealed something to me that controlled my spiritual life and gave me a guideline. It was during all those years that I came to see that the plan of the purpose of God is corporate, not individual. Individuals are saved, but they are brought into a corporate they're baptized into the church. All of us, by one spirit, are baptized into one body. And that's where I realized that the plan of the purpose of God is not individual, as most of Christians were, were, were advocating. You're saved by grace, you're going to heaven, you have eternal life. All of those were for a purpose. <clears throat> and that's where I saw the similarities between the Old Testament remnant and the New Testament remnant. The Old Testament, after they came out of Egypt, they went all through the the process. They came to the Promised Land. They did not realize their call. They went into the captivity of the Babylonians and the Persians, and a remnant returned to build the house of God and keep it going until the seed, which is the Lord Jesus, came and established the house of God. So I saw the similarity in Christianity. Everything was individual. Very, very yes, especially in the West, we tend to be individualistic and very personal in our faith. That is right, which is not wrong, which is right, you're saved. But the plan and the purpose of God was not set before the eyes of a believer. You have been saved for a purpose, mm-hmm. not just go to heaven. 
to be incorporated into the body of Christ, the church, that according to Ephesians chapter 3, the manifold, multiple wisdom of God will be revealed to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places by the church. So I began to see that, and that prompted me to start to write uh, the series Breaking the Silence. Mm -hmm. And that is where the book of the Breaking the Silence kept, kept into being. Now, and I see that you have a uh, recommendation from Dr. Braxton Hunter, president of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana, and he is very high on this series. Yes, he read it, and he highly recommended it. Uh, but because I'm not a commercial person, I didn't want to further. I mean, we have, we have sold the, 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 that forward is for the second print. Mm -hmm. which is soon is going to be printed, all three volumes in one. However, one of the things that uh, maybe we further need to elaborate is to see the plan and the purpose of God in the real sense of it. Now, the, the definition of the gospel is very important for us Christians. And that's one thing which is on my heart and I'm all the time trying to share with my Christian brothers and sisters. So I've written a pamphlet for about 30 pages, but it, right at the beginning, the first chapter begins like this. God determined that he would realize his eternal purpose through an incarnation of himself. That is a manifestation of himself in the flesh. And that, in that manifestation, he would pro provide a sign to the universe. His infinite wisdom, power, and sovereignty would be expressed in the form of man, generic not only to mankind, but also to divine and satanic angels alike. That, if we don't understand that God has a universal plan, and in that universal plan, his manifestation is going to be through his incarnation, a corporate body, then we have missed the point of our salvation. And that's where we've gone wrong. That's where we've got to put our perspective uh, right and adjust it in such a way that every Christian will find his or her place in God's eternal plan and purpose. Then this is what I, what I added in chapter in page 27 of that pamphlet. Yes, the Church of Jesus Christ is not in this world to have anything to do with systems of this world. When the Church becomes involved, to get involved in the matters of the kingdom of this world, we lose the purpose of our call, and we involve ourselves in chaos. That's where we may go wrong, and that's where we've got to be very, very careful in what we do. So that was where my concern was, and eventually I tried to make the best of possible to make everybody see what this purpose is all about here. Allow me to say, put a definition for the gospel. Okay. It is very important to know that the, what the gospel is. The gospel is not just limited to John 3.16, as glorious, wonderful, and true as this verse may be. The gospel can be summarized as follows. The Son of God, who is also the Son of Man, has come, and in his coming has expressed in type what God intended for his creation before times eternal. God manifests in the flesh. God combining his own nature with mankind and producing a new species in which God is resident with his divine nature. Jesus Christ is this new species. That is the definition of the gospel. 
and those who identify with him in oneness of that divine life are destined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, to be the instrument of the manifestation of God by his indwelling. That, in short, is definition of the gospel. Now, if we limit the gospel to John 3.16, then we are missing the point and we're missing God's eternal and universal plan and purpose. Yes, God certainly had a beautiful way of bringing us into his kingdom. Now, one of the things that you talked about in here is uh, the altar, and another one is the remnant. I, I see in your subtitle it says, Discovery of the Principles of the Altar and the Remnant in Relation to the Kingdom of God. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes. In the Old Testament, they brought in many kinds of sacrifices to the altar. Mm-hmm. And basically, those sacrifices represented the atonement of sin. However, there was one sacrifice called the burnt offering. And that meant that everything had to be put on that altar, including ourselves. And that would mean that we're becoming one with God, going through that. The greatest example was uh, Abraham and Isaac. Abraham, first of all, uh, we have to understand that God is walking and we're supposed to walk with him. And that walk leads us to his eternal plan and purpose. In Genesis chapter 17, God said to Abraham, walk before me and be perfect. That walk with God led him to chapter 22, where God said, put your son on the altar. So Abraham did not hesitate at that point, because he had come to know God as the God of resurrection. That was the burnt offering when he put Isaac on the altar. He put his all on that altar. And it is there that God swore and said, by myself, I swear that I will bless you and your seed will bless all the world. Ours, when we come to the Lord, either we come to receive forgiveness of sins, sin offering, or we come to him to that altar as a burnt offering. That's where the principle of the offer, uh, remnant, comes into the picture. The remnant places all on the altar and says, Lord, I am here for your purpose. That's the Old Testament. We come to the New Testament, the same principle governs. Either we're coming to receive forgiveness of sins and have eternal life, or we're coming, placing on the altar of God, and say, Lord, your will be done. Your will is my conformity to the image of Christ. Therefore, do whatever it takes. I want to be part of that plan and purpose. And that's where a remnant comes into the picture of the Christians. Not A lot of Christians have received this. They have offered the sacrifice of sins. They have accepted Jesus as the offering for sins. But is that all Jesus did? He became the type of the person that God wants for his eternal and universal plan and purpose. That's where the remnant of Christianity will accept, bow to that, and receive it. Mm-hmm. Today we are a living sacrifice on the altar of Exactly. hmm Now, as a ministry leader, how do you make sure you declare the full counsel of God? Of course, one of the things that, uh, again, brings us to the principle of the remnant, if we didn't have Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we would thought that every Christian will make it, and every church will make it. However, when we come to the end of the Bible, to the book of the Revelation, chapter 2 and 3 speaks of the failure of the church at large. In Ephesus, every one of them made a mistake. In Ephesus, he said, you've lost your first love. What does first love mean? Lord, all, all me and all mine is yours. They had forgotten that. They were very strict and very correct in their doctrines, but they were not 
putting themselves on the altar of, Lord, here I am, take me. And then we come to the, every church had a failure, every church had a failure. Then we come to the Philadelphia church. That's where the Lord really says, you have not forgiven my word, you have kept it at my heart. I will save you from the hour that's coming. I have set an open door before you. Don't be afraid. But then right after that, we come to the end of the of the church era, the Laodicean church. Christ is outside of the church, standing at the door and knocking, he who opens. All of these churches had one thing in common. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I cannot force this truth on my believers either. All I do me or the elders of the church or those who are in the ministry in various countries of the world. We have many, many churches who are working with us and are following this truth. They say the truth and they share the truth. He who has an ear, let him hear. We help them. We try to make them understand. But eventually there comes a time when some people close themselves and say, no, thank you very much. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I don't want to put my all on the altar. But there are some who have responded. And we have many, many churches all over the world, from the Middle East to Europe to Australia to the United States to Canada, who are subscribing to the whole truth of God, to the plan and purpose of God. And we are all in fellowship, and that's where my concern is for believers and the believers of my church. Mm-hmm. And uh, your affiliation is with the Church on the Rock in the Toronto, Canada area? And also with Acts 13 Christian Ministries. Could you tell us uh, why it's called Acts 13? Okay, what happened, uh, one of the things that we subscribe to very strongly is one new man in Christ Jesus, Mm -hmm. which breaks down all the walls of division. In him there is no Jew, no Gentile, no Scotian, no barbarian, no male, no female, no slave, no free. All equal. That has brought a lot of people in. Because when we built up also division of Europeans, Americans, Middle Easterns, that divides the church, which is not in God's mind. One new man. That happened in Acts 13, where there were different people there. The Jewish influence was gone. Paul was there. Slaves were there. Free people were there. Herod's helpers were there. It is one new man in Christ Jesus started in Acts. So we took the name Acts 13 as an all-inclusive ministry, ministering to every race, every language, every color, every nationality. That's how it started. Acts 13 is an offshoot of the Church on the Rock. It's the international arm of Acts 13 of uh, the Church on the Rock. That's how it began. Okay, and and because you're in the Toronto area, that is an incredibly diverse uh, area, that uh, a metropolitan area, isn't it? That's right. Well, well, in every city, we can break down the walls of division. Mm-hmm. It necessarily doesn't mean ethnicity between male and female, mm-hmm. between slave and free, between rich and poor. In Christ Jesus, there is no difference. All these walls of division are broken down. The head is the head of every nation, every gender, every age. That's why we attract a lot of people and they stand together and pray together and worship together. And then, of course, in Acts 13 is when Paul and Barnabas turned their ministry to the Gentiles in that chapter of the New Testament. That's uh, right. What is our relationship as believers to be to the people of Israel today? Well, they are, they are the chosen people of God. They have an earthly ministry. Even when the Lord returns, their ministry remains earthly. 
the heavenly body is Christ's church, which is a different ministry. We respect them. We love them. God has kept them. And, but they missed the point of God's calling. They tried to maintain this Jewishness. That, that's why God set them apart. That's a very strong emphasis by Apostle Paul. No Jew, no Gentile. So there's one new man in Christ Jesus, one new creation. We respect the Jewish people. We love them. But they lost that point of being that heavenly body, that Christ is the head. And that's when the whole universe will be shown or governed or manifest the manifold wisdom of God by the church, which is the body of Christ. Well, as we look at the broader church today, how can we live out the full gospel and kingdom teaching today? One of the things that is very important is the church not to get involved in the matters of the world. I'm not preaching isolationism. All I'm saying, we cannot get involved in the politics of the world. We cannot change the world. We're not here to change the world. We are here to be a testimony of the sovereignty of God and allow people to be joined to this one new man and live a life that is worthy of the name of God, truth and righteousness. In that process, the Holy Spirit takes over and conforms us to the image of Christ. The greatest example is the Lord Jesus. How did he live in the world? He did not compromise with the world. He did not adapt to the world. He stood there and he said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Because we're standing. Our ultimate goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Not get involved and try to bring governments and change governments and get involved in politics or all of these things. The moment we do that, we open the door for the world to enter the church. So our main concern is to learn, allow the Holy Spirit to teach us how to live. John 14, 15, 16, the Lord told his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you. He will tell you all the truth. He will tell of me, take of me and give it to you. But in this world, you will have problems. Cheer up, I've overcome the world. In chapter 17, he prays, Father, you and me, I and you, they want this be one that the world will know that you sent me. So <clears throat> we have to depend on the, the guidance, on the strengthening, on the empowering of the Holy Spirit to teach us how to live in this world and prepare the ground for his return and the establishment of his millennial kingdom. Mm-hmm. Well, as we end our time here on Charisma Connection today, how would you inspire us to live out a no-compromise message that honors our Lord? Well, Chris, this is where, I, this is where our emphasis is on the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We have to believe in the Trinity. The Father planned, the Son fulfilled, and now the rest of it, uh, it is uh, up to the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, and to lead us. We have to be Spirit-filled Christians. We have to learn to pray together. We have to learn to wait upon the Lord. We have to wait until the Holy Spirit speaks to us and every, every step of the way to seek His guidance. And I assure you, I have from my own experience that a lot of other believers, the Holy Spirit still speaks in Christ. He will teach us how to live a life worthy of His name. Well, I have the feeling, uh, Pastor Fred, that we could talk on and on, and you have um, much to teach us from your ministry, from your study of the Word, from your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Is there anything you would like to close with? I would like to ask every believer to ask the Lord to reveal His final plan and purpose for him or her, and trust the Lord that if the Lord has called us, 
the Bible says, faithful is he who has called you to the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He will do it. He wants to do it. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. My recommendation is each and every believer is called. Therefore, we have to respond to that call by coming to him and say, Lord, your will be done. I put my altar on, on the on I put myself on the altar. Let your will be done in my life. Hmm. Very good. I wonder if would you would you mind praying for our listeners today? By all means. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, your son, and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I take this opportunity to pray for every believer who will be listening, every believer who will be reading your word. You reveal yourself to them. You make your will known to them and assure them that you have called them into your eternal plan and purpose. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that nobody will be deprived of this great call. I pray that you will make yourself known. You will reveal yourself to your children and you will guide them by your Holy Spirit. I pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit for every believer who hears this message and bring them into your full counsel. Your word says, God works everything according to the counsel of his will. I ask, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that every believer will be included in that whole counsel. In the mighty and precious name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. We thank you very much, Pastor Fred, for being here with us today. Thank you very much, Chris, for this opportunity. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless the ministry of Charisma. May the Lord bless each and every one of you, dear brothers and sisters, who are part of the listening of this message. We so appreciate that and your visit here with us on Charisma Connection. We've been speaking with Pastor Fred Saleh uh, from the Toronto area, from Acts 13 Christian Ministries and the Church on the Rock here on Charisma Connection. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.